0: Last week, I started on a series on false teachers, and what I have recognized is this: I've been watching videos, uh, and uh, there are whole, there are whole, <laughs> okay, they there are whole—that's funny. There are whole, <laughs> um, uh, there are whole uh, video channels. There's a whole YouTube channels devoted to just talking about false teachers. You realize that's what uh, they're out there. And they name names. And what I realized is there are a lot of false teachers. I mean a lot of false teachers. Now, there's a possibility that I will not even be able to name all of the false teachers if I gave you a list of false teachers. And therefore, if I were to watch these videos and only say, well, I tell you what, I don't have the opportunity to listen to all of the sermons from these people who would be considered false teachers. Then what I would have to say to you is, is that I will have to listen to these other people and get what they've determined that are false teachers. And as long as there are video channels completely devoted to false teaching and they're naming false teachers one after the other, eventually I'm going to come across some of these people that are not false teachers. I was watching one series from one guy and he said, I mean, he got on there and he started trying to determine whether Beth Moore was actually saved or not, whether she knew the Lord or not. And I went through that and I said, there is nothing that I have ever heard from Beth Moore that would give me any indication that she doesn't know the Lord. In fact, is I really haven't heard anything that would make her a false teacher, to be very honest with you. So <clears throat> I can't name all of them. And I can't even watch all of those channels and try to get the names that they have named and try to get all of them. Because then I will be determined or depending upon those people to be accurate on this. So my job is not to tell you the names of all the false teachers. I will tell you names as I go along. But they don't get any idea that that is the... That is the extent of all the false teachers that are out there. They're teaching in the Bible. They're teaching in uh, in churches today. They're teaching what they call it, the Bible, but really not what they're doing. Remember what I told you last week. What do they do? They First, they take a scripture out of context. This is their, their, their very, a pattern that they follow each time. They take a scripture completely out of context, sometimes only a word that is taken out of it, not, not just a scripture sometimes, not just a verse. and It may not have anything to do with what's going on uh, with the rest of the verses around it, or even the, the word that is there may not have anything to do with the rest of the words around it. Then they run to an allegorical explanation of that. They come, they come up with an allegorical explanation. Then they will apply it, Or explain it in a way that appeals to the flesh. It will appeal to you in terms of it'll be the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It will go that direction. And it is very appealing to have that happen. And they do this, the fourth thing is they do this in such an exciting way that you don't even know they did it. Because these people are very, very exciting. But what I can tell you from, even tell from this title that is here... False teachers don't act for the Lord. False teachers act for themselves. Let's take the word of God and I'm going to go to verse 18. I read verse 17 last week to you. So verse 18 and following along here and Romans chapter 16. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So it says this very, very clearly here. False teachers do not serve Christ. You see that those words are actually there. And there's now there's a whole lot of difference between a preacher who makes a mistake and a false teacher. I'm very honest. I told you this. If I had to preach a series of message uh, messages on all the mistakes I've made while preaching, uh, I couldn't do it because I'm not going to live that long. I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. And most of those mistakes were because of immaturity or they were also came because there were other preachers that I thought were telling what they should have been telling. And they made a mistake and I just copied their mistakes. But remember, a mistake is what happens when you is is you're trying to get something right, but you get it wrong. That's what a mistake is. If you're trying to balance your, your bank book, you're not trying to get it wrong. You're actually trying to get it right because you might make a mistake in that. You might make a mistake in some of the things that you do. That's you're trying to get it right, but you get it wrong. But a sin, a sin is when you act against God's will without even trying to get it right. You may not, you you won't get it right. See, false teachers may believe they are right, but they have not done a thorough examination to try to get it right. They have not done the examination of the word of God in such a way that they're trying to get it right. They like what they've already gotten. Now, there are four major heresies being taught today. I'm going to give them. This is not scientific. This is just what I've picked up from watching some of the false teachers and hearing what they're saying. But uh, the first one and the most common one is called word of faith. Word of faith essentially is—it has a lot of variations, but essentially is, is that if you want something, you believe it hard enough, and then you can speak that into existence. In other words, if you want a new car, then what you do is you go over to that—that that, uh, you know car lot. And you start, you know, you pick out your car and then you say, I want that car, I believe that I have that car, I believe God wants me to have that car, and therefore that car needs to become mine. And you speak that car into being, becoming yours. And that's what the Word of Faith, now there's a lot of variations of that, but that's essentially it in a nutshell. The second one that is, it's kind of a new one, that's kind of an old one that's been running around for a long time. But the second one is the New Apostolic Reformation. The New Apostolic Reformation has been called the third wave of the Holy Spirit by some of these uh, people that are in it. And in this, a person becomes an apostle. And the uh, the belief there is, is God is restoring the office of apostleship, apostle, as if they were the apostles of Jesus today. Therefore, they can, they could write scripture, I guess, if they wanted to, but nobody can say anything against them. They can't, they can't be uh, approached in what they're teaching or, and and basically they can come up just about with anything they want to uh, come up with and they're right because they're apostles. In fact, in one of the churches that I know of, uh, you send them so much money and they'll make you apostle. I don't quite get that, but that's what they do. Third one that is commonly out there is, is called Arianism. Arianism is not the same one, you know, we, you've heard that word probably used or what sounds like that word used uh, when Hitler was saying he had a master race. That word is A-R-Y A-N-I-S-M that, That's not what we're talking about. This is Arianism A-R-I-A-N-I-S-M It comes from a guy named Arius and Arius believed that Jesus was close to God, but not quite. You understand? He wasn't a trinity. He was created by God, according to the, the, to the uh, Arians, that he was created by God. And God created him basically to create the world. And, and there's some other things that they're saying about, uh, about Jesus, but he's not quite God in the Arianism. And you have to understand this was incredibly popular in the third and into the fourth century. It was very popular amongst Christians to believe this. um, This heresy is what it was. Uh, And we see it today. We see it a lot. I mean, Mormonism believes that. I mean, that's not necessarily a Christian group, but Mormonism believes that. But we'll see it also sometimes when it is taught along the lines of Jesus was a great teacher, and that's all he was, or great, Jesus was a great prophet, or, or whatever it might be that the people will say that he is, then that's Arianism, and you can hear that come out in, in some pulpits. The last one in, uh, that uh, we don't talk a whole lot about, but, but it does happen, is called modalism. Modalism is the idea that God exists in modes. In other words, he was God the Father in heaven. And then when he became God, the son, they emptied out heaven so he could come down here. And then when he was going back to being, you know, up to heaven again on the way up, he turned into the Holy Spirit and came back down. And so right now, heaven's kind of empty. If you understand what's going on, a scripture will not uh, validate that in any way because you've what does the scripture say? Jesus is sitting at the right hands of God the Father. <laughs> well, then if we got the Holy Spirit, then we got all three. You, do you understand what I'm trying to say here? This is modalism. I, I've heard this, uh, literally heard this on uh, the internet. I didn't actually go there, but I heard Stephen Furtick in, in North Carolina preach this. And and, and I'm just going to be honest with you folks. And, and that's, I think, because he's a disciple of T.D. Jakes. And T.D. Jakes uh, also preaches that modalism. So I'm just letting you know that these are, this is just one of the... These are four of the major heresies that are out there. Now, what has happened here is they believe they've got it right, but they have not done a thorough examination to make sure that they get it right. And this does not serve the Lord Jesus. You see, what is going on here is it's about having this thrilling new teaching. People gather around, just like the Greeks did back in the, you know, even in the New Testament. They gathered around every thrilling new teaching. But here's the problem. When you have a thrilling new teaching, it's like getting on a treadmill that keeps going faster and faster. You see, when you have a thrilling new teaching and you want people to come back again, you have an encore problem. You see, what you must do is, is that you must do an encore that was greater than what you did before so that you can get them to ask for another encore. You're going to one it again, and then you want it again, and you want it again. And so you must get better and better to get another encore. You see, this is a problem that we have even in some worship services today. Because when it is about the encore... The show must be greater than it has ever been before. It's always going to be about the show. The stories need to be more miraculous. You got to have more engaging stories. Get them more emotional than they've ever been before. You've got to get that congregation literally worked up into a frenzy in some ways in order to get them to come back. The music must be just really over the top all of the time. The set... The costumes and the light show. And believe it or not, churches have light shows too. And they, it must be greater than it has ever been before. But if, it's, if what we share is about us, and what I mean by if it's what we share about us, it means is it's about what we are doing, not what God is doing. But if it's about us, it isn't about God's word. And fact is, is that the more it isn't about God's word, the more it is about us and what we're doing. And this does not serve Jesus. It does not serve Jesus. You see, serving Jesus is to obey him. Jesus told us to make disciples. And how did he say we should make disciples? We should teach them to obey what I have commanded. That's what he's saying. You teach them, you go, you teach them to obey what I have commanded them. But if we are not teaching what he's commanded, we cannot teach them to obey what he has commanded. So that false teachers are teaching their own psychologies, their own philosophies, and their own desires is what's going on. And they may believe that they're right. You have to understand. Somebody asked me last week, "Do, do you think they're right?" And I, you know, the question is, I, I, kind of think they might think they're right. I think they might think they're right because it says in Proverbs fourteen twelve, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, the way to death. So, and you know, it's very hard to, like I said, to list all of the false teachers. But as I was going through um, a book called the 20th century uh, theology several years ago, about 30 years ago, a friend of mine and I were going through it. We came up with these five characteristics of what causes people to become heretics. And we looked at those. We started in the, in the 1700s and we went through each of the theologians up until that point, And we looked at those that were a part of heresy and those who were not. So here's the five things. Those who do not hold to scripture as God's word are likely to become heretics. See, what should happen is, is that we should not be able to say what scripture, what we want it to say. We should be able to say scripture needs to tell us what it wants to say. And I told you about how I tried that in seminary last week and I, and it didn't work. I wanted to make something say what I wanted it to say, not what it actually said. And so we've got to hold to the Scripture. Second, those who do not study Scripture are likely to become heretics. In other words, if you keep just picking out that word, if you just keep on picking out that Scripture, and you don't take the context around it, and you just start taking your psychology and your philosophies and your own desires and you start doing it, I mean, you're going to become a heretic because you're going to start saying what you want, to, you want to say. Third, those who are not held accountable for what they have done uh, with Scripture are likely to become heretics. And what, they, what has happened with a lot of these false teachers, I don't know if this is true of all of them because I don't know uh, I don't know what they actually do, but many of them have bodyguards that surround them. And these bodyguards that surround them are there, they say, to keep them safe. But in reality, safe from what? I will tell you what they need to be saved from. Safe from somebody that comes up with the Bible starting to ask them questions about what they just said. And so, they, so you can't get to these false teachers. They are not held accountable because they make it a practice of not being held accountable. And when you look at their boards that govern wherever they are, it's usually them and their, their spouse and somebody else that is in their agreement with them. And sometimes it's another false teacher from another place. And that's, that's just the way they're not held accountable. Number four, those whose popularity continues to grow when they have a new understanding and an incorrect interpretation caused by an incomplete grasp of the scripture are likely to become heretics. Their popularity continues to grow. And and folks, I want to say this again and again here is that that popularity is not any proof that they're preaching out of the word of God. I mean, you, you have to realize some of the great preachers in the past were actually fired by their churches. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, for one of them, you know, back in, uh, a long time ago in, the, in, in a great revival that came out, uh, preached this message uh, centers in the hands of an angry God, and yet they, they, they canned him. So popularity is not the situation. And the fifth one sounds a lot like it because it says, those who gather inordinate attention and inordinate financial gain through their teaching are likely to be, be heretics. These are the things that I've, I've found that they're, that... Uh, uh, bring about these heresies because they have so much attention and they have the financial gain. In fact, is they really don't need, they don't care if anybody objects to what they say. But they got the money that they can ride right through all of that. So they, they keep on going. But the godly teacher, on the other hand, the godly teacher is full of godly wisdom. There's a whole lot of difference there. And, and here's the situation about the, the, the godly teacher. Godly wisdom requires humility it requires humility because you realize what we're getting we're we're getting something from God James 3 13 says who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom you know False teachers are coming up with their teaching by using their IBMs, their itty bitty minds. That's what they're using, and I have not found any of the false teachers—at least the ones that I have watched and and have seen on TV or seen on the internet—I have not found one of them that I saw that I thought they were humble. I saw them full of themselves, and so they're seeking this new teaching always for the purpose of bringing attention to themselves. And and how do they gather all of these people in? How do they gather their crowds in? Well, false teaching is deceptive because it is so close to being right. If it were so outside of being right, nobody would listen to it. They'd say, that's wrong. That's terrible. See, deception is never the goal of the godly teacher, but the thrill of the crowd is the goal of the false teacher. And the proof of being right is the crowd and the amount of money that's brought in. And before you throw another rock at a bunch of false teachers, I can tell you that I've been in a lot of Baptist churches that have used that very same thing as the proof that they're doing what is right. They will say this along the lines was, was this a successful uh, meeting or successful? And they will talk about how many people came, not whether the word of God was ever even mentioned. And they will talk about how much money was brought in. Those two things right there are how we determine what is right. Well, I can tell you something. Jesus wouldn't have done very well with this, would he? At the end, they left him. They they weren't even around him. And and he certainly wasn't incredibly wealthy. You see, I have gotten hooked on some of this stuff for just a little while. And sometimes I will hear some teacher, some preacher that I've never heard of before. And they will say something that is biblical. It is the truth. And they'll say something that I like. And and then I, I go along with them for a ways. But it's like this. It's like when you put that worm on the hook when you're fishing. You're hiding the hook. And so that what happens is, is that that fish looks out there and says, that's a scrumptious meal. I think I'll get me some of that. And so he goes over and gets some of that and he gets hooked. Well, what has happened with me is I've gotten a little hooked on some of this stuff. But when I start considering this new teaching, I often see the hook. Because of the reason I got pulled in. Why? Because it was so close to the truth that I got pulled in. And I didn't realize it. The godly wisdom... And the godly teacher recognizes that godly teaching comes from God who requires humility to walk with him. See, godly wisdom cannot come from the proud. Just recognize that as a standard that is out there. See, spiritual things must be understood by the Spirit. Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And here's what I know, folks. I can pick up the Bible... I can read a passage. I can take my education and my my previous understandings of that scripture and I could come up with what I could probably get away with in, ser- in, in seminary as a pretty good sermon. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? It won't be a spiritual message. It will just be a man-made message from me. So what happens to me, and this is what I have to do each week, is that I have to first go before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't fully understand this scripture. I have to humble myself to say, I put myself under the authority of the scripture itself. And then I pray over it. I pray over it and say, God, if you don't reveal it to me, you don't know how many times I've said, even sitting, sitting right over here, I've said, Lord, if you don't come true uh, through today for me, I said, I don't really have anything to say to these people because this is a spiritual thing that needs to come out. And right now I don't feel that spiritual. So you've got to come in and Lord, I've got to have you anoint me with your spirit. And I pray that over and over again. Then I dig into the word when I'm planning this. I dig into it. And by I do that, I translate it. I parse the verbs. I check the commentaries. I then take the scripture and I, I cross-reference it with what this scripture says in other places to make sure that it, it's what I think it says. Then I go and I check with some other preachers that I've seen that have preached on this topic that I, that I trust. And I start to look at seeing what they have said on this. And then it, this comes a moment when I come at peace in my spirit because that's where it has to come from folks I come at peace with my spirit that this is what needs to happen for receiving a word from God comes from the grace of God I will tell you this folks let me say this I'm just a cup I'm not the wine do you understand God has to fill the cup Because I'm not the wine. And I'm not going to get the wine if I start saying, I can do this. The cup is going to be empty. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. Not going to get anything in there if I'm proud. But he gives grace to the humble. So that God requires that I humble myself in all of the study to receive the grace of his understanding. Godly teaching requires a renewed mind, too. You must have a renewed mind, not the, not the mind of the world. Romans twelve two says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you, will, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word that is up there that says conform to this world is the concept that, that we are one thing and the world wants us to conform to it. That's not who we really are, but that's what the world wants us to do. We wants us to conform to it. The world wants us to say, the goal in your life needs to be your physical pleasures, your, your possessions, your, your money, your, your pride, your power. This is what the world wants to say for, for us. And so, godly teachers cannot be rooted in that. For false teachers are found rooted in the world. They're often caught in their physical pleasures, possessions, and money. And pride and power. In fact, their scheme sometimes, if you watch it, should be called, show me the money. Because that's what they do. Show me the money. Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 thesis on the castle door at Wittenberg, Germany on on October the 31st, 1517... Had a complaint, What well, at least one of those complaints about the churches, is that they were taking in money hand over fist. Now, they were doing so in order to build uh, new cathedrals. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Building new churches is not the problem. The problem is they were using unscrupulous ways in order to do it. What they were doing is they were selling forgiveness. You could go to the priest, you pay him enough money, you got forgiveness, whatever you did. In fact, they would sell something called a writ of indulgence to the more wealthier people. And that way you could you could go have an affair if you wanted to. You see, you could say, will buy that. I'll buy that. I can buy it in advance, and then I can go and do it. And then I got forgiveness already before I even get into it. They were selling the idea that you could pray somebody out of purgatory. And so that they were taking the money in this. And, and Martin Luther wanted to say, that's not the way it should be. He says what he was saying is, is, that, is that you don't... It's not required that you must give money to hear the preaching of the preacher. Now, I believe in the biblical um, principles of giving. Don't misunderstand this. But I abhor using faith to make one rich. I abhor that. You see, but this is a common practice amongst false teachers. One of them that I read about has $760 million, has more than one jet, has a couple of jets, has his own airport. Did you know that? Has his own airport as well. Another one I watched on TV. He was was begging to get a new jet because his old jet just wasn't good enough anymore. You understand? I'm I'm looking at what they've got, and they've got, you know. Here we're going, we're going fifty million, 150 million, 300 million, and I'm looking at this, and I'm going, is this what God really wanted us to do when we called us to preach the gospel? And they will say, oh, but God has blessed me. Oh, come on, folks! Isn't that just an excuse for saying I fleeced the people? This is what it looks like to me. See, what I see is is that these 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 false preachers. Are making it all for themselves, but the the godly teacher, and godly teachers are full of Jesus. They're full of Jesus, and and what they do is is this is the the thing in oh, you're being able to recognize them. Because I know that some of you are going to leave this place. You're going to go somewhere else sometime, and you're going to be able to. You're going to have to pick somebody that's going to be your preacher, and you want to know how am I going to know if this guy's godly or not? God. Well, see, godly people empty themselves. They empty themselves of what they could have to get what God has for them. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourselves more significant than others. Let each... Of you, Look, not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus emptied himself. By not assuming the role of God. Was he God? Absolutely, he was God. But he was not assuming the role of God. I mean, I like to look at that this way. It says, if I close my eyes, I can't see, but it doesn't make me blind. I can open my eyes at any time and I will be the seeing person that I know that I am. Jesus was God at all times, but he chose not to become filled with himself or still full of what he who really was he emptied himself so that godly people are revered but they don't seek reverence godly people are honored but they don't seek to be honored godly people are admired but they don't seek admiration in other words godly people have the capability of all these things but they've emptied out the things of the world for the things of god one of the pastors that I served with years ago, he showed that to me by the way he lived his life. He was the most humble preacher I have ever known. I knew him in his, you know, you work on a staff with somebody, you get to know them. And I got to know him pretty well. I mean, he was a man of prayer. He was a man, it was, he was soft-spoken. I always said to people, he goes to the pulpit like a sheep, like a, like a lamb. And then he roars at the people. And I don't mean he was loud. I mean that he gave you the word of God in such huge helpings that you could not deny that he was a humble man having received from God. But false teachers, teaching is all about them. A false teacher is a legend in his own mind. They have an insight that nobody else has. They have their level of teaching that nobody else will be able to reach. See, a false teacher benefits himself while saying, it's all about you. The false teachers will say, you need to send in the seed money. You send in that seed money and you will have all the wealth that you need. You send in $100, you'll get $1,000. You send in $200, you'll get $2,000. And they'll go through this. And what they're saying is, you send it to me and you'll get everything that you want. And if you give a donation of $100 or more, you'll get my free book. It's called It's All Fertilizer. And that's the truth, folks. Uh, You know, some false teachers even put on a show to make... You believe what they say. They'll get a Bentley. And they'll park it out front and let everybody know it's their Bentley. They'll get a Rolls Royce. They'll park it out front. You can see, you you can't tell people that they know how to make you rich if you don't look rich yourself. So they do this sort of thing. But what they're doing is they're feeding their own appetites. They're feeding their bellies. Philippians 3.19 says, Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I heard one of them say this. I know that they say that the streets of heaven are paved with gold. But I want my gold now. Heard that. Literally heard that from one of them. And I thought, you know what? He's getting his gold now. I'll tell you what he's getting. But what does the scripture say is going to happen to them? It says that. His end is destruction. You can take his gold, but his end is destruction. And you know where his heaven is? It's right now because he's not getting one afterwards. That's what the scripture will tell us. See, I will say this in conclusion of all of this. Be careful when you see the greatest show on earth. Often it's just smoke and mirrors. Pray with me.